Between inflation, rising interest rates, and compounding financial uncertainty, 2023 promises to be a fraught year for on-farm decision makers. How can your farm financials help you stay ahead? That's today on Field Posts. a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. When it comes to understanding a farm's financial position, conversations with accountants and advisors can often be overwhelming. There are many different strategies and ratios that can be calculated to gain context on different aspects of your operation, from how efficient your farm assets are to how risky a debt load could become. Today, DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger joins us to discuss her recent reporting on the financial metrics that are helping farmers make more profitable decisions. She'll dive into stories from farmers who have determined which factors to track and offers advice on how to start beefing up your financial analysis with real-world examples. Plus, she'll discuss what experts are saying about debt management, today's land values, and how to prepare for an uncertain future. And don't miss her update on the 2023 DTN Ag Summit series coming soon. All that and more right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger has been plumbing the world of ag accounting and farm financial management for years now, looking for the most valuable information for DTN readers and listeners alike. Katie, wanted to start out with hearing a little bit more about how you landed on this story and getting into these topics. Why now? This is a story where the roots of it, I actually wanted to write about after I attended TPAP for the first time in 2020. That's the executive program for ag producers hosted by Texas A&M University. If you haven't heard of it as a DTN listener, reader, subscriber, it's something I would highly recommend. It's something that just wrapped up for this year, but that they're probably already, or they're going to be taking applications soon for 2023. It's essentially a week-long business boot camp for farmers. The first time I attended, I sat in a room of about 150 people as Dick Whitman, who is a farmer and consultant, explained all of these different financial ratios. And I looked around that room and I just saw light bulbs popping off on people. The conversations around it was very dynamic. And I thought to myself, how can I find a way to write about financial ratios that doesn't bore people until they fall asleep? And so it took me a while, three years, to really 
figure out and meet someone, meet a farmer who could tell me really valuable stories about how these numbers guided their decision-making so that I could write something that was worthwhile reading, but still touched on the importance of how these numbers can benefit a farm business. And it sounds like you maybe found that in Mark Arnish. Talk a little bit about Mark, his farm, and how he got into thinking maybe a little bit more in more depth about his farm's financial picture. Mark was one of our View from the Cab farmers this year, and Pam Smith normally does the interviews for that weekly feature that we do throughout the growing season, and I have the benefit of every once in a while backing her up when she has conflicts in her life or takes vacation. And I knew from one of my first conversations with Mark that he had a different perspective on business, that he was very much into the weeds on his numbers. He thought about his business from a very, he's in a unique environment and he thought through all the details from his finances to agronomy at a very detailed level. Mark is just outside of Denver to the east in Prospect Valley. It is a relatively arid climate. He says they manage for drought and when they get wet, it's strange. He's close enough to the cities. They've got a unique growing environment. And so he grows so many different crops. When he told me he had whole farm revenue insurance versus a revenue protection policy like most farmers, I said, okay, this is someone who does business differently and understands their risks at a very detailed level. And so when I was looking to write this financial ratio story, I said, I should call Mark. I bet you Mark would be able to talk about these things. Little did I know he had great stories that would be very helpful in explaining why farmers really need to pay attention to their financial metrics and what they can do for your business in various different ways. Tell us a little bit about maybe some of those stories. How does his analysis work? Where did this kind of journey start for him? You know, he told me in his family farm, it goes back to the early 1900s, 1950s, they started growing sugar beets. It had been a part of his family business for more than 50 years. And he was looking at his asset turnover ratio in 2016, and it was telling him to get out of the business. It was, the metric was very underperforming. It was in a very weak spot. It was projecting that it would be something financially disastrous if he kept going down that path without making any changes. Well, the sugar beet business is intensive. In order to grow sugar beets, you generally have to own shares in a co-op, which are expensive. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to grow sugar beets this year. You've got to have the place to sell it first, and then you have to have dedicated equipment to that crop. And so he had decided after looking at the asset turnover ratio, that was not making sense as a part of their business. And he decided to exit much to the surprise of his family. He said there are people, there are times when he thought he was crazy for making such a seemingly radical change in his business. So he decided to sell his co-op shares. He sold the equipment and turned it right around into his other value added line. He does certified wheat and barley seed, as well as selling to the breweries around Denver and some of that distillery brewery business that is really burgeoning and is a really big value-added markets for a lot of different producers. So he did that in 2016. He bought a dedicated combine. He added grain storage. He got a cleaner. So he reinvested a lot of what he sold. He bought a whole different slate of assets and he turned that asset turnover ratio from an underperforming metric to an overperforming metric in a year by switching out where he invested his money in his business and how he specialized by taking sugar beets out and doubling down in some senses on other parts of his business that had a lot of runway for growth. He was really able to change his farm's risk profile. And he did it all by and noticed it and really saw it truly and clearly by looking at his financials. 
That all sounds very exciting and like a very quick change. But I think for maybe folks who are new to thinking about these kind of ratios, just what is the asset turnover ratio? Yeah, the asset turnover ratio measures how efficiently a farm's assets are being used to generate revenue. When a lot of people think about financial ratios, eyes go to the big ones, return on investment, return on assets. What's your debt to asset ratio? But when you really look at the asset turnover ratio, it is one that looks at how well the business is operating. It's an efficiency metric. And that's something that's a little bit more detailed than what a lot of farmers think of as the top line ratios they monitor. And so it's something that really shows how well your business is working. It takes some of those land and high value assets out of the picture. So you're really able to look specifically at the efficiency of a business or how much money you return on your assets. So what are the functional parts of that? So it's an interesting one for farmers to look at and to watch. I'm sure just one of a couple that we'll be talking about here, but before we get a little deeper there, I think this is such an interesting time to be talking about it because though prices are looking good right now, a lot of folks had a pretty good year in a lot of cases, there's still definitely a sense that conditions are changing and that things might not be good forever. So yeah, talk a little bit about this moment and when you were talking to experts and folks who are advising farmers on these kind of metrics, why is now a good time to be thinking about these? Well, farmers understand, or anyone who has been in this business for a long time, understand that commodity markets are cyclical. We've been in sort of an upswing for the past few years. Commodity prices, you look at the price of corn now has a six or seven, depending on what month you look at it over the past couple of years. And so producers have had strong farm incomes. They've really been able to build up their working capital and their liquidity. And when we talk about working capital, that is one of the things you hear thrown out by every banker I have ever met. And essentially what that is, assets divided by liabilities. Everything you own that could be liquidated or sold within a year. So grain and inventory, you look at any equipment, if in a fire sale, you had to sell it you look at livestock, those are your assets. You divide it by what you owe, what's your operating note, what's your, um, what's your mortgage rate, those types of things for your business, your assets divided by liabilities. And what farmers and ranchers really need to know is how long that working capital can buffer them if there were to be a really steep downturn, if their business went from being profitable to operating at a loss. That's where working capital comes in really important. It is a cushion. And so right now we are at a peak in agriculture on that commodity swing. We've had a few years here where we've really built up those level that level of working capital There's a lot of liquidity out there in the ag economy. And that's really good when you look that, hey, this pendulum tends to swing the other way. The thing a lot of economists that I've talked to this winter have really said is, how do you make sure you preserve that? Because we don't know when it's going to tip to the downside. We don't really know. We never know for sure how steep that will be or how prolonged a down cycle might be. I have heard some comments about whether corn is at a new plateau price, like after the ethanol boom, when it pushed the cost of production up, it kept the corn price higher than it had been. So we're at a point where it's at a peak and there's a lot of uncertainty about how steep and how long 
a next down cycle will be. And so having good levels of working capital and liquidity is something that farmers can use as a tool to manage the risks of those times because they will be able to have something there in case they operate at a loss, if they need to repay their operating note, or maybe what I've heard from some farmers is they're actually working and fronting all their operating expenses on cash this year to avoid the run-up in the operating note interest rates that are going on. They're trying to minimize that cost by more or less self-insuring by buying all of their inputs with cash. And so they're making strategic choices with their liquidity to help them weather some of the inflationary pressures that are going on right now. I'm curious what experts had to say in terms of what that means. I think maybe the shallow version of I need to preserve my working capital. It's so important right now is just, I guess that means I can't have any debt. I need to pay off all the loans that I have. I imagine there's a more kind of nuanced way to approach that idea for this current moment. Absolutely. Especially you you talked about debt and getting debt free. If farmers have low interest, long-term debt, that is actually an asset in this environment. If you have a land mortgage, say for farmland, and you're paying 4%, that is a strong benefit. And most of the lenders I talked to said you do not want to pay that down unless it is part of a longer, well-thought-out strategy. So it's one of those where you have to think about what type of debt you're carrying. You don't want to go out, for instance, and maybe something to think about in this next season and cycle, going out and buying, let's say, new equipment and paying a really high interest rate on it. The price of equipment has skyrocketed just like almost everything else in agriculture. So it's really the debt payment on that instead of borrowing at the levels that you might have previously, maybe putting more cash towards that purchase to bring that payment level down to something that you can afford and more easily afford if the market goes the other way. One thing we saw after the 2012-2013 real ethanol-driven boom, that demand spike, China came in and ethanol came in and really drove really strong ag prices and ag returns for years, was farmers took out big loans on equipment. And in a few years later, that really came back to bite them because they weren't able to carry those payments and that sort of debt service coverage. Something that we talked about a lot here was the debt service coverage ratio. And that's what I'm getting into where you talk about your net farm income and divide that by your annual debt obligation. It's really a way to measure how much of your cash flow is needed to meet principal and interest obligations. If you have a good idea of where that is, you want to make sure that's manageable, but you don't want to role play scenarios based on what your incomes have been in the past two years. The bankers I visited with for this piece really recommended looking at something that's more of a historical norm to calculate what payments you can afford. Don't look at what you've made the past two years. Look at what you've made on average, maybe the past five or six, perhaps use an Olympic average where you drop the high and low over 10 years. Do something to create more of a reasonable income expectation and make your purchasing decisions based on that, not what you're making right now because it could change and you don't want to be saddled with a high payment on something that when the market changes that you cannot afford because that is one way to rapidly erode your working capital, erode your liquidity and put you in a really tight situation financially where maybe you're not able to avoid paying a higher interest rate on an operating note. 
you mentioned a couple of different things there and I want to tease out the difference because I think debt to asset ratios have been the go-to ratio maybe that people are like, well, as long as my debt to asset ratio feels good, that's fine. You mentioned debt service, like a debt service ratio as something maybe to add a little more context there, but especially with farmland prices where they are, I'm curious what the recommendation is about how to really think about that debt to asset ratio right now. So I had a really good conversation about this with Chad Gent from Farm Credit Services of America. He's their VP of retail credit. And one thing he said to me was that higher equity is no longer a guarantee of strong earnings like it was back in the 1980s. But low equity is generally a pretty good indicator of poor earnings. And let's break that down a little bit. Right now, what we've seen over the past three years in farmland values is that in some cases they've increased 40%. 25%, 50%. They have jumped up as the Federal Reserve has kept during that period where interest rates were near zero. Our farm returns were good. There was very little land on the market. There were a lot of upward pressures on the farmland market. We have not seen as steep of a downward pressure on that market because of the change of interest rates. It's not like housing. It's held its value a lot better than the housing market. The housing market has really softened and, and not really crashed, but slowed down significantly with the rapid rise up in, in interest rates this year. And so one of the things that that significant jump in farmland value has done is it's inflated farm assets. Farming is an asset-rich, cash-poor business. And so farmers use their land as collateral for their operations. If they own it outright, which something like 70% of the land in Iowa is owned outright, they really have a lot of value on their balance sheet. That's a type of paper wealth that can make their financials look stronger than maybe they actually are on an operating business margin. And that's what Chad was trying to get with when he said that higher equity is no longer that guarantee of strong earnings. Mark Arnish really agreed with that too, especially in the area where he's at, where his mar his land market isn't driven by the underlying price of farming. It's driven by some of the demand from the nearby metropolitan area. It's driven by water. And so especially in places where the underlying asset value of the land is less tied to agriculture and more towards the general economic conditions, it can screw the that debt to asset ratio out, out of proportion. It's not necessarily the same warning sign that could go on like in the 1980s. In the 1980s, that debt to asset ratio crashed as asset values fell and really was something that forced bankers to say, farmers, you have to sell out in order to bring your financial perspective back into balance. And I don't think anyone's really looking at it for asset values to crash in that same way or for it to have that same type of an impact on the farm balance sheet. That's why I think a lot of the bankers I visited with for this piece really recommended looking at that debt service coverage ratio. In the 1980s, on the sector level at least, debt service coverage climbed above 30%, almost got to 45%, which meant nearly half of all the income from farming was being used to pay down debt. And that is not a very healthy business model. So watching that is one way to ensure your business is moving in the right direction, making sure you're keeping that metric as low as you can to make sure you've got that sort of working capital buffer if prices really turn around. Which I think brings us a bit back to, so we've talked pretty extensively now about the risks that are out there and what the downside might be and how to keep track of that. But I'm curious, especially maybe from Mark's perspective, how is he thinking about profit and profit margin and planning to optimize for that and not just for like minimizing downside risk. 
Right. So one of the things Mark does is he really likes to look at his operating profit margin. This is one of the more complex ratios that I discussed in this article because it requires adding a lot of things together and then dividing. So you add together your net farm income, your interest expense, and then you have to subtract off your unpaid labor and management. Farmers are really bad about doing this sometimes because they don't figure out a wage for themselves necessarily or what sort of benefit they get in there. But then they do that little mathematical equation and then they divide it by their farm's gross revenue. And what it does, since there's no element in there of assets or equity, it really shows how your business is operating just from the operational standpoint without any of those inflated assets in there. How effective and efficient is your business at generating profit on what you do. And that's something where if farmers look at that, they can start to say, okay, can I shift my labor in a way that changes things? Do I need to modify that interest expense option in there, which you can go into your bank and negotiate. There may or may not be a lot of movement, but farmers need to know that that is an element they absolutely can negotiate with their bankers. A lot of people don't. They just say, what rate can you give me? And that's what they get. Try, ask your banker if there's anything you can work out or find an agreement there. Focusing then on net farm income, what they can do to increase that. Do they need to be a better marketer? Can they sell more of their grain now while they know prices are high? Can they do some forward contracting to try to boost that net farm income? And so that's one of the things that Mark really looks at, but he also makes a really great point when he talks about that operating profit margin. And it's something I really hope we get a chance to talk about here, Sarah. It's about the importance of accrual accounting. You cannot create most of these financial metrics, at least accurately, unless you are using accrual accounting. Accrual accounting will take all of your expenses and revenues for one crop and put it on one balance sheet. A lot of times farmers use cash accounting methods, primarily what's on their, what they end up reporting to the IRS on their Schedule F. It's called cash accounting. But when you do that, you actually co-mingle expenses from generally three crop cycles. You might have some grain in inventory from last year. You've got grain in inventory from what you produced this year, and you've already booked in expenses from the next year and deducted them on this year for your taxes. So you have sometimes grain sales from two different crop cycles. You generally don't get paid for future crops right away, but then you've got expenses. So when you mingle all of that on a cash um, balance sheet, you're not really able to see how good you are in this one crop, how profitable that crop is. It's a lot more work to do accrual accounting because you have to then, when you make sales about a past crop, go back and update your accounting in the past and look at it and revise those balance sheets. It's work to do accrual accounting, but the bankers and the economists and the farmers I talked to for this say that it's really necessary to get a picture on some of these operational efficiency metrics about how well your business is performing in one season, in one crop. Having conversations like this, maybe it's the right time of year, maybe folks have time, but also very overwhelming. Recommendations on who can help start this process or what kind of resources are available out there for farmers who are interested in learning more about how to do some of these? Farmers really need to, if they have an accountant already, talk to their accountant. Their accountant may be doing some of this on their own already, and they just might charge an an extra fee to really be able to do this work for farmers. I think it's one of those things where farmers may balk at paying 
two to $5,000 more to their accountant every year when they don't bat an eye when the price of a John Deere tractor goes up $25,000. So I think in perspective, the return on what you pay you for your accountant to do some of this for you and to help you get a better understanding of your like income statement and your real balance sheets as they go really can pay off when you get a better picture of your numbers and you can genuinely understand how your business is performing. When I talked to Mark Arnish about that sugar beet pro- program, he was was making money on a cash flow basis. And it was one of those where when you just look at it from, okay, it's bringing in good money, but what's it costing me in that opportunity cost? All the specific labor and equipment he tied up into it when he actually factored it out on a crop by crop basis, it was not making sense. Whereas it looked good from a cash flow accounting basis. So it's something where as long as you're getting your numbers right and put together, they rarely lie. And so it's, it's something that Mark Arnish has found very helpful. A lot of different farmers that I've visited with, I just returned from TPAP this year, moving to accrual accounting has been something that I heard there was one of the most revolutionary aspects they did for their business to really start thinking like a business. Very few businesses in the world operate on that cash accounting basis. You talk to anyone who's in a factory producing something. It's all accrual basis. They are looking at everything they produce in a given year to, to understand the value of what they're doing. And agriculture should be doing the same. So we've talked about a ton of different ratios. We've talked about a lot of different kind of opportunities farmers have to think, but I wonder if you could sum up, what do you think are the most important kind of maybe places to start in terms of numbers to know and eyes to have on your financials that maybe farmers don't have right now? Know your working capital and then compare it to gross revenue. What's your income? If you have 25% or more of like working capital to gross farm income, you should be able to withstand potential losses without selling assets. That's number one, what farmers want. In order to keep your business intact through a down cycle, you need to have enough cushion. And so if you are sitting there and you're working with your banker and you're looking ahead for goals for 23, do some game planning stress test your balance sheet. What would happen if the interest rate on your operating note went up to 9%, not out of the range of possibilities for this upcoming year, if you have a variable rate. So game plan, what would that mean to your break-even for your crop? Where would you have to market? And that's something farmers should be looking at this year. As always, review your marketing plan, stick to it. You cannot go broke if you're making a profit, especially when you know there might be tougher times ahead. I know it hurts when you miss the top of the market or you feel like you left a lot of money on the table, but that's also where a good marketing advisor might be able to help you. There are some things you can do in the futures market. If you sell physical grain and you are worried that you're going to miss out on upside, that's what what calls are for. So there are some different tools to use there to help you market your crop. So be a savvy marketer, know what your price points are. Don't be afraid to book in a profit, even if you think it might be below where the market could be. Last thing you want to do is be that farmer who put in an offer at the grain elevator. It's at $8. It hits $7.99 before it turned down. We don't want to do that again in agriculture. There was a lot of people who did that in 2012 and 2013. And that's something I have heard repeatedly from bankers talking to them about what farmers can do to really bulletproof their balance sheets and gauge their bottom line for 2023. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask a couple of questions on some news at coming from DTN. The 2022 DTN Ag Summit just wrapped up about a month ago, but DTN has some announcements about some future summit activities. I wonder if you could give us an update on that. 
we had a really good time producing the 2022 Ag Summit. It's never as much fun as getting in together with everyone in a room, but what we got some great feedback from people about the type and quantity of information we were able to get them as far as the decision-making benefits. And so what we've decided to do for 2023 is to do more frequent updates in a similar format and style as Ag Summit. So if you attended Summit in 2022 or you're interested in learning more, we're going to be doing the Ag Summit series, the first of event starts for 28th. We are going to be visiting and sort of weighing in on this pre-planting situation. The whole time of February, we spend the whole month tracking new crop prices to create our crop insurance revenue guarantees. There are back and forth debates about how many acres of each crop are going to be planted based on the supply and demand fundamentals of the market. And if you looked at the January WASTI report and what happened there with lowering soybean ending stocks even more, a little bit of tightening on the corn balance sheet, you know that it's going to be a tight race for acres this year. It's going to be an interesting one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring together DTN analyst Todd Holtman to really talk and lead the discussion on that. We're also going to have DTN ag meteorologist John Varanick give an updated look at and detailed look at the spring planting forecast so that farmers can really get an idea of what's going to be going on as they hit the ground in March, when that discussion around acreage is really heating up, and then in late March and early April, when people are out there putting that seed in the ground, we're really looking to try and give some insight and some opportunities for discussion ahead of that at the DTN Ag Summit series. In terms of signing up, registering, what do folks need to do? So if farmers want to learn more, we've actually made all of our content from Ag Summit 2022 available online on our Spotlights page. We'll also be dropping a link for registration to the 2023 Ag Summit series on that page. If you go to spotlights.dtnpf.com backslash Ag Summit, you'll find all of the details presentations, videos there. So you can get a really good idea of what we'll be talking about a little bit on how it'll look and feel, but we use a different virtual events platform called Whova to host these events. And we really love the interaction ability through that. It's a pretty streamlined, simple process. You're able to watch the video live stream chat, ask questions, take polls without navigating away from the screen. So it's a really great platform to do a virtual event. It's like we, we like to say, a little more than a Zoom, not quite a full TV broadcast. It's a little more interactive than that. So we're trying to do some fun things with that. Our first one will be February 28th. We're still trying to figure out the schedule for the rest of the year, but look for something sort of early summer, something in the late summer, August period, perhaps around the time of our DTN digital yield tour. And then we'll be doing another full, DTN Ag Summit in December. These DTN Ag Summit series events will be half days, so it'll be mornings, probably about 8.30 to 11 or noon, depending on the content that we have built in for you. So it's not as much of a commitment as the DTN Ag Summit, but it'll be definitely worth your while to get up on the news and issues of the day with the people who are influencing it most. So we really look forward to seeing you there. Getting a chance to ask questions and have that interactive element as well. Absolutely. That's really the benefit of doing these things because we have regular readers on DTNPF.com, my DTN. They get to know what Todd and John think by reading, but you really have some great conversations when you ask them questions. They're fun, phenomenal people to visit with. And we look forward to having everyone do that with us at the Ag Summit series.
any stories that you are planning for the next couple weeks, months that you are excited about that you would like to preview? Right now, what I'm really digging into, Sarah, I just got back from TPAP. I have a whole notebook full of ideas on things I'm going to turn to different feature articles. But I think in the next week or two, you're going to see some good reporting on DTN around this issue of interest rates, inflation, and land values. I've had just so many good conversations over the past two weeks that I'm going to put out a couple of pieces on that with some big newsmakers. So we're looking forward to sharing that information with you all because I think it's something that's very high interest this year. To read more on Katie's farm business reporting and for up-to-the-minute reporting on all things farm financials, visit DTNPF.com or subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Katie Dellinger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here.